family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for Thursday, December 1st. McAuliffe and Rubinoff here with you as we begin the countdown towards the 2026 World Cup. <laughs> oh, that's a long way away. Kind of. Yeah. Sort of. Of course, the rest of the tournament remains, and we will break down Canada's journey from start to finish with Jim Brennan and Craig Forrest. And, of course, get you the highlights of what was another remarkable afternoon in Qatar with the highlights and first things first. Speaking of disappointing, Canada. Kenny the Jet Smith will drop by after the Raptors were beat down in New Orleans. We'll talk about that and a little way too early MVP chat with our man Kenny the Jet Smith. Both Canadian teams in action last night on the ice were victorious. We've got four more on the ice tonight and it'll be impossible for all of them to be victorious because two of them are playing each other, Montreal and Calgary. We will get into Mitch Marner's point streak and have the Leafs figured out how to stop other teams from scoring goals? Mm. The Toronto Maple <laughs> Leafs, Jesse, have they figured out how to stop other teams from putting round, spherical, black, vulcanized rubber objects into their net? It appears so, at least in November. At least in November. <laughs> and we all know everything is decided in November. That's exactly right. All that, and speaking of way too early MVP chatter, is Connor McDavid ranked seventh in Hart Trophy rankings? Sensational Who stuff. came up with that idea? <laughs> and then to take the clothes to robe, I mean, yeah. it is just... Oh, just... I mean, forget heart. Connor McDavid's seventh in the Hart Trophy rankings. We'll explain it all in a flash. <laughs> that would make it hot in here. That's, I mean, look at this. This is exactly how, how I started the show. <laughs> Monday to Friday. <laughs> that is the move. That's where I got it from. <laughs> So, it's not even cringe, it's like, it's just, it's art. <laughs> the, best, the best part is, and I'm not going to make 
Dez or anyone else rewind it one more time. But at the start, the first person to take the robe off is some dude right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's supposed Get to be the, the women. Rolling. Get the ball rolling. Yeah, he just said, you know what? <laughs> Screw this. <laughs> yeah, you follow the rules. All right, Jump we'll explain gun. all of the Connor McDavid part in a flash in first things first, so let's get it going, Michael Owen. Mm. First things first. We start once again with the World Cup in Canada's final game, eliminated from the knockout stage before today's affair with Morocco. Canada was still playing for something. Their first win in a men's World Cup and their first ever point in a men's World Cup and perhaps save a little of the disappointment that some Canadian fans were feeling going into this one. So already out of contention, playing for pride, but once again, a shaky start from the Canadians and specifically that man, Milan Borja. Victoria, just enough to get it back to Borja. The wrong guy to give it to, Hakim Ziyech from Chelsea makes it 1-0 Morocco and the early conceding did not stop there. Ashraf Hakimi with a great ball ahead. Youssef Enrazi is able to score and it is 2-0 Morocco just like that under 25 minutes in. 40th minute though, Sam Adekube makes it interesting. He makes his way towards the box. This is an own goal off the deflection. It's 2-1, 71st minute, Canada quarter. Atiba Hutchison, the 39-year-old, comes this close in what will be his last World Cup to getting Canada points. The captain can't believe it. And this is how close it was, Jesse, to having a storybook ending, at least for Atiba Hutchison. Instead, Canada, one of just two teams at this year's World Cup to not get a point in the group stage. Morocco able to top the group with a 2-1 victory. Here's John Herdman with his thoughts post-match. I mean, proud, proud of the performance uh, through this tournament. I think our players, we, we showed up the way we wanted to uh, with that sort of energy and spirit to get on the front foot and to get after teams and you know it took us a while to settle in this game I think the early goal was tough we knew it was going to be a, a cup final spirit the intensity in the stadium was wild but it did it took us a while to adapt uh, to the game but when we did we uh, we showed we can live here we showed uh, we were two inches away from from getting our first World Cup points and and they're the fine margins at this level so we knew Canada was going home. Who would join them? Croatia, Belgium. Belgium needing a win to advance to the round of 16. And in the 60th minute, Dominic Livakovic makes the initial stop. Rebound there for Romola Lukaku, who absolutely hammers it into the woodwork. 90th minute. Another opportunity for Lukaku. This time, Thorgan Hazard gets it right to his chest. And he knocks it down straight to the keeper. Livakovic is able to stand on it. Lukaku, five shots, can't score. Nil-nil the finals. So Croatia moved through. And Belgium, the second-ranked team in the world, is going home along with Canada. Morocco, the surprise. And to be credit, to be 
to be honest, full credit goes to their seven points. They played well throughout the tournament. Only goal conceded was to Canada today. Croatia finished second. And as mentioned, Belgium done. Roberto Martinez confirmed he is out. The golden generation may dissipate without the gold to go along with the generation. Well, Canada finish bottom of the group. They join El Salvador as the only teams to ever lose their first six games at the World Cup, Jesse. So De Bruyne was right. They were too old. They, they were certainly too old. didn't win. They didn't even advance. No. Uh, seems to be some disappointment, obviously, over Canada's performance. Yeah. Let's get your reaction. Are you disappointed? I want to phrase this properly mm -hmm. because I feel like there is... You can be disappointed, but I also feel like there's a remarkably fine line between hope and hype. Like, I thought that this tournament was all icing. I thought that this was, to, to, to paraphrase my former co-host here, this was the gravy on top of the poutine, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. we, we experienced an unbelievable journey with this team just getting to this plat place. And we can't lose track of the point that they improved 39 places in the world rankings since the end of 2020. L less than t 10 years ago, Jesse, Canada was ranked 122nd in the world. That was eight years ago. They were 122nd in the world. Now. That does not mean that you cannot be disappointed. I think we all wanted more, mm -hmm. but let's be honest about the group. Like Canada was the longest odds in the group, and it played out that way. No question. I mean, I just go back to the, the Belgium match, and had that ended up a little bit differently, obviously Belgium was not, not who we thought they were, after that match, clearly they, they didn't advance, so they weren't as quality as we thought, and they probably were deserving of their second rank in the world. But had that one, we let them off the hook. When Canada, we let them off the hook. When Canada played that well and weren't able to get a result in that match, it just felt like the steam came out of out of the squad on that side. I, I don't want to give excuses for anything. That was the missed opportunity. A yeah. lot of people thought I was one of them mm -hmm. after game one. Wow, Canada really showed us something. And then when you realize Belgium wasn't the team that we thought they were, mm -hmm. that result becomes way less impressive. That's the missed opportunity. And had you got that, then Croatia may go differently. And listen, Croatia outplayed Canada. They were the better team. But let's be honest here. When Croatia gets that second goal just before halftime in game number two, Canada is forced to open up. And when they do, the experience of Croatia takes no over. Yeah. And they absolutely exploit every weakness that Canada has. There's your 4-1 final. They make a couple of mistakes against Morocco and then outplay them in the second half. You can't have the mistakes that Canada had. But you also can't completely discount the fact that they were the better team in the second half against a team that looked really good in this. The draw was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. This was a tough group. And the fact that Morocco won it shouldn't change anything. Morocco, full credit for what they did in each and every game. And let's not forget, for just a split second, they have 15 players who play in the top tier of the big five leagues in the world. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people kind of lost sight of that when they saw Morocco at the start. 
and there was some trouble within the Federation about a year back. They sorted all that out. They were better than you thought. Croatia was as good as they were when they were finalists. I don't know if they'll get as far this time around, but it was a quality group, and that's evidence in the idea that Belgium's going on. Yeah, I just want to get a, a couple of responses on social just about the state of men's soccer after this World Cup, and you can give your reaction quickly. As Sandro says, we hyped this team up a bit too much. They were not prepared enough or simply just not good enough. I'm going to get the negative ones out of the way here. Uh, Brett says, probably didn't deserve to play on this big stage, if I'm being honest. That was horrendous. It's not like the expectations were very high. Nowhere even near the middle of the pack in men's world soccer, let alone being at the top. That's the hype and hope, though, right? Yes. Like, if you believe the hype, you're disappointed now. If you were hoping because you know what the World Cup is about, I don't know if you get that upset. This one, uh, you've read it's been up there for a while, but ultimately Craig says trending up just based on where they were in 2012 when they lost. 8-1 against Honduras, which we have referenced many, many times in the lead-up to the World Cup. Uh, Samson, trend is very positive. Don't get hung up on a couple of rough games. We don't have the quality to make a lot of noise at this level yet, but 2026 will be a very different story. And I think that, honestly, Tim, about 500 responses to this tweet, and that is the prevailing sentiment that most people are very proud of this team and really looking forward to 2026, what this team can accomplish there. Yeah, and, and that's why the tip of the hat. I mean, Milan Borian had a tough tournament. Yeah. Um, Atiba Hutchison almost ended it off with a goal which would have been so fitting for the warrior mentality yeah. that he has brought when he showed up time and time again for Canada being the leader of this team. But in the end, we'll conclude this conversation with Jim Brennan and Craig Forrest, a combined over 100 caps for this country. They'll mm -hmm. come in here and we will discuss where they think it's going for Canada. They've lived it. I will believe them a little bit more than me. Perfect. A little bit more no than the tweets that we just <laughs> yeah. saw here. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, let's conclude uh, Group E. And going into the third and final game of Group E, all four teams had a chance to advance. Germany, Costa Rica, Spain, and Japan. We'll start with the Germans taking on Costa Rica. And just 10 minutes into the Germany game, Serge Gnabry steers it in the far post and it appears as though Germany is just going to walk. We need to hold on because this was absolute insanity. 11th minute Spain game, Alvaro Morata heads it in. It is his third straight game with a goal and his 1-0 Spain, meaning Spain and Germany would advance. However, 48th minute, Rizzo Doan, great touch, fires it off the hands of Yuri Simon and it is all tied up at one. Japan back second qualifying spot. Then Kairo Numota plays the ball back in front. Ao Tanaka redirects it home. Japan scores two in just over two minutes, but VAR wants to have a look to see if this ball is out. Parallax angle. Do you remember John parallax. Shannon yeah. explaining the parallax yeah. angle in the Calgary Flames? <laughs> They say this is a goal, even though one of the angles all over the internet suggests the ball was out. Broken down in tears, if it stands, Japan would move on. Costa Rica game. Kaiser Fuller cuts it back. Manuel Neuer stops the header, but it is cleaned up, and Costa Rica now ties it at one. 70th minute, free kick for Los Ticos. Neuer, no idea what he's doing, and because of it, Costa Rica has a 2-1 lead, and all of a sudden, Japan and Costa Rica are going through? What are we talking about here? 73rd minute, Nicholas Fulkrug 
tips it to Kai Havertz, and that is a death finish. He beats Kyler Navas, ties it up at 2, 85th minute, Gnabry crosses in, Havertz again, finish. Germany ahead 4-2, hoping that Spain could tie the match, and then things would be right in the world. Spain and Germany moving on. Back to Khalifa International, Danny Almo receives the return pass, a little give and go, but soon Ichigonda makes the save. And Japan, a huge upset to finish top of the group. Spain advanced second on goal differential because they hammered Costa Rica in the opening game while Germany eliminated in the group stage for the second straight World Cup. Canada heads high. Germany hasn't made it out of the group stage in each of the last two World Cups. So Group E, after a wild day, ends up like this. Japan topped the group, Spain second, Germany third going home, and Costa Rica with their minus eight goal differential and a win over Japan are also headed home. So after all that, two more round of 16 matchups confirmed. It will be Japan against Croatia. That one on Monday. And let's not forget Canada beat Japan in the lead up to the World Cup. While Morocco, after winning Group F, gets Spain. Spain, nice draw there, though I believe Morocco is a little bit better than most people do. We'll discuss all this with Jim Brennan, Craig Forrest, a little bit later on. That is juicy. There are some juicy matchups there. Without a doubt. All right, let's continue here on First Things First with some hockey, and it wasn't easy, but Mitch Marner extended his point streak to 18 games last night, tying Daryl Sittler and Eddie Olchuk for the Leafs franchise record in a 3-1 win over San Jose. Marner was held pointless for most of the game, but he got his chance when the Sharks pulled goalie Aaron Dell after Pierre Engvall scored to give the Leafs a 2-1 lead with just under two and a half minutes to go. Marner missed two opportunities with the net empty before finally burying one. Uh, Matt Larkin of the Daily Faceoff tweeted, 2.27 to go, point streak isn't dead yet, as Marner has a good chance to be out there with the empty net, given his two-way acumen, and then followed up with K. So I didn't think the next minute would consist exclusively of Mitch Marner empty net attempts, but here we are. So does the fact that he did it with an empty netter Taint the record. I saw at this all. a lot. I yeah. There were a lot of <laughs> tweets suggesting this, and I hate being the gray beard here, but if the shoe fits, then you've got to wear it. I got to point back to Wayne Gretzky. The great one forever eliminated the idea of tainting anything with an empty net goal when he scored. Number 50 in 39, might I add, 50 goals for the kids out there in 39 games with this empty netter. Forever eliminating the idea that an empty net goal taints anything. That was his fifth goal of the game, by the way, kids, to get to his 50 and 39. So let's just eliminate that and say Mitch Marner's done a really good job in these 18 games. And more importantly, Jesse, the Leafs' record in those 18 games has been really impressive. All you got to do is look at the month of November. It's preposterous. Right? Like... Going into this month, there was worry about the coach's job. Coming out of this month, the Toronto Maple Leafs were 11-1-3 in the month of November. Most points they've had in a calendar month in franchise history, I believe, which is just a, a staggering statistic. Uh, so Marner just continuing to get it done, and I think, you know, he's 
he's had his ups and downs here in his Leafs career, uh, but this is, certainly feels like a time where almost all Leaf fans are sort of united around Mitch Marner and just appreciating his greatness. And I know that you, uh, yesterday, were talking about just his his pat his passing ability. Which I vision. stand by. Yeah, no, he's he's clearly performing at an elite level, uh, which leads me to my next point, which is the Leafs, and you mentioned the team defense, but elite and goaltending and the Maple Leafs, are they words that you can put together? Because right now it seems like they're certainly getting elite goaltending. Well, when Murray and Samsonov start, they are now 12-3-1. The goals against average, as you can see, 225 and the save percentage, 926. Like, I, I, I did not see this one coming. I don't know if we give Kyle Dubas uh, the credit that he deserves on this yet. I think you want to wait and see what ends up happening with this team. But as of right now, and we said this last year with Jack Campbell, as of right now... They've looked pretty damn good, and because of it, the Leafs have been good in the month of November. And listen, some of those guys were out. Like, Eric Schalgren played some of those games in yes, November, and they're still 11-1-3 in the month. So give the Leafs full credit for what they're doing right now. But as we've said numerous times over the last couple of years, we'll wait to see what happens in the postseason. And listen, I believe that you lay the groundwork for the postseason. Mm -hmm. And I believe what you saw with all these injuries and these goalies shuffling in and out is the Leafs play good team defense. They need to do that when it matters most, but I think this is a good start. Yeah, I mean, it's the second straight great November. Obviously, last year did not work out, but we'll see. We'll Better see. to be winning than losing, I would, we'll I would think. Uh, the Athletic updated their NHL awards <laughs> rankings today, and Connor McDavid is ranked seventh among Hart Trophy favorites. In your opinion, should he be higher? Okay, like let's just slow this down for a split second. This is based <laughs> on value added to the team. And by the end of this, Dom Lucision put this through his, it's an analytically charged Driven, ranking. Yeah. Yep driven ranking and he says elephant in the room Connor McDavid he'll move up part of it has to do with the record part of it has to do with the point but let's just go back to that list of players mm -hmm. and say how many folks in Canada honestly knew that Jason Robertson would be topping a list of Hart Trophy candidate let alone most lists of Hart Trophy candidates at this point in time this year. I, I don't know of any. Right. Quite frankly. But but Robertson <laughs> has played unbelievable. Yeah. His team is leading the division. And when Rupe Hintz got his money, I heard a lot of people go, Rupe Hintz is worth eight years yeah. and that kind of money. And half the reason he is is because of that guy too. Yeah. It just feels like Dallas specifically. I mean, Hintz has been good for a number of years now. And you've seen Robins, Robertson break out. It feels like they're an underappreciated team when it comes to their sort of star power because they have stars. You just don't hear about them very often. Correct. Because we focus on a lot of the attention, obviously, on Canadian Sorry, did you teams. just tell me that the stars had stars? Yeah, that okay. was uh, yeah, that wasn't on purpose. No, anyway, no, I just wanted to make sure. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Connor I can, McDavid. I can confirm. Connor McDavid, as you see on this board, first in terms of odds, and Dom in his article did say that the cream often rises by the end of the season. It's likely that he will be at the top of Dom's rankings as well. Right. But as it stands right now, according to the analytics. Yeah. But can we make this a, a, a Jason Robertson appreciation tweet? Sure. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Just leave it there. Nice. At this point, like, listen, I understand you're shocked 
that Connor McDavid is seventh on the. I was shocked when yeah. I saw. I, I, Robertson's good. I believe yeah. Dom Lecision's explanation yeah. on how this works and how it will probably work out in the end. And we all know, we all see, we all understand this guy's the best player on planet Earth. Yeah. But I want to change this into the Jason Robertson right, appreciation fine. tweet because I think he's played amazing. He's so fast. Great shot. Yeah, he's a very good hockey player. Uh, all right, let's, let's pivot over to uh, NBA here on First Things First. The Raptors had a bit of a tough time in the Big Easy last night with the Pelicans missing two of their three top scorers. It was the Zion Williamson show. He was a one-man wrecking crew scoring 33 points to go along with 10 boards, five assists, four steals, and two beautiful blocks. What was the most impressive part of Zion's performance, besides all of it? <laughs> you don't leave me with much. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the most important, <laughs> impressive part of his performance besides all of it? Yeah. Uh, well, pick something. Well, they pick something. How about this? 12 of 15 for his 33 points. How about Efficiency. this? The Raptors could not hang with Zion Williamson. How about this? You and I had a conversation yesterday about if this guy stays healthy, what is he? Mm. And I said, well, for through his first 100 games, he's got the most points since Michael Jordan. And what we saw last night was an absolutely dominant performance. And when the Ra- So he dominates early in this game. And the Raptors are down, what, 27 mm. at halftime? Mm. Like, it was ugly. And they finally cut it to 11. And Zion Williamson has a block on one end, which wasn't his first block, and he went down the other way, and I just thought, this is the epitome of what this guy can do. Mm -hmm. And he can hand, watch this dunk. He spins, he turns, he double clutches, and he's able to throw it down. Like, this was, I don't want to call it Starks-like, but it was pretty damn close. Yeah, you know what? That's, that's exactly Visions what I was thinking. Visions of John Starks. It's exactly, and, and, and John Starks' dunk is like an iconic dunk yeah. from that decade. Yeah, it was in the and playoffs. It was a little different a little circumstances. Different, but, it wasn't in New Orleans. But that just shows you how yeah. crazy the athleticism and just how much it's elevated with the NBA these days because Zion does that pretty routinely and it's just like another highlight in a highlight pack and it just shows you how unbelievable this guy is and, and the potential that he has because he's getting better he's and not slowing down we, we tried to tell people before the game did yes. we not yeah we tried to tell people before the game kind of overshadowed how bad the raptors looked but the, ba- the raptors were terrible like really bad like, are, are, do we have time for that next question about the raptors like uh who, who was who was the who was the worst player for the Raptors? Or Scotty Barnes did not look good. I'll, I'll say it. He didn't look good. A bump on the road on his road to the Hall of Fame, as we have inside joked for quite some time now. Not a good performance. Are you concerned with the way Scotty has looked lately? Yes. Okay. But I want like separate your tongue in cheek. Hall of Fame. Future Hall of Famer yeah. Scotty Barnes with the idea that a kid is allowed to struggle in the NBA. Like, I've said this numerous times in numerous sports. Like, you're allowed time to figure things out. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to struggle in the world of professional sports. You're allowed to go out and party and have a good time and enjoy the millions of dollars that you make and still turn it around and be a great player. But this is no boys allowed, right? Yeah. This is no longer the tri-league. I know you were just rookie of the year. 
but Scotty's got to start figuring out how he affects games each and every time out. And that's a, that's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the numbers and see he's lower in points per game, rebounds per game, and field goal percentage with more turnovers, you understand that this has not been a smooth trajectory to where a lot of people thought Scotty Barnes was going to be after last season. And so I'll just say this. Scotty Barnes showed me in his rookie year that he has the ability, he had a maturity well beyond mm-hmm. his years and an ability that we didn't see a lot in young players in the NBA. He's not a, now got to figure out how he takes that to the next level because he hasn't as of yet this year. And that does concern me with the full knowledge that you can take some time to figure things out because you're playing against the best athletes on planet yeah. Earth. I think that is such an excellent point that you made about just how is he going to affect the game night in and night out because his assists are up. Yeah. But what does that mean about the rest of his game? And he is billed as this all-around talent, so he has to figure that out. And obviously there's a learning curve, but I think that is a, a, an excellent point. Uh, let's continue here with the NBA on First Things First. A couple of other standout performances from last night. Jason Tatum scored 49 large against the Heat as Boston won for the 14th time in their last 15 games. And in Phoenix, Devin Booker scored 51 points in three quarters in a blowout win over the Bulls and had Suns fans chanting MVP. Is Booker a legitimate MVP candidate in your eyes? I'm going to say it right here and right now. Jason Tatum will be the NBA MVP in the 2022-2023 season. The way that this team is playing, the way that they are doing things, the way that he is doing things, why are you staring at the board looking for some sort of button? Because I was going to give you horns, and I figured it wasn't, it wasn't really horn-worthy. And then so you were looking for other else. things. I was going to give you crickets. The Boston Celtics have the best record in the NBA. He is their best player. He is doing it. Listen, when Chris Middleton comes back to the Bucs, maybe this will change. Maybe, some, maybe Luka will start winning more games. Look at the numbers now. Jason Tatum is right there for NBA MVP, and he wasn't right there to start the season. He wasn't right there a little way into the season. Jason Tatum, Mm. at the end of this year, if he is still healthy, will be the NBA MVP because the team is really good, Mm. and he is unbelievably good. I'm going to leave you with one stat about the Celtics, and he's obviously the leader of the Celtics. Their offensive rating is 121.5. The next team in the league is the Suns, 116.5. They are operating at a level of efficiency offensively that we haven't seen in a very long time. It's way better than anyone else in the league. They're good. And I will forever remember that he changed my mind on this year's MVP Mm -hmm. while doing it in front of the English Kardashians. (laughs) Very good. Yeah, nice tie-in. Yeah, they were booed, by the way. USA chance. He's very good. I, I love. I don't him. know if you saw that. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. Do you that know who this Tatum Jason too. Tatum yeah. is? <laughs> yes, I do. Very He's good. very good. Very good. Nobody's safe anymore. Why the don't you just shave through. his head? By the way. Why? Why doesn't he? Yeah, just shave your head. Yeah. What are you yeah. doing there? Hanging on to that horseshoe thing. You tell him. Still to come. <laughs> 
Former Canadian internationals Jim Ben and Craig Forrest in studio to put a wrap on Canada's World Cup experience. Former NFLer Brandon Stokely tee up Bills Patriots Thursday. The Thursday nighter on paper actually pretty good. And a crazy UFC story that we are going to get to next right here. Tim and Friends on a Thursday. It's 18 and a piece of leap history for Mitch Murder. He's right by Jack Johnson. Walks it, shoots it, scores. Wow, watch this. He looks up, he gets his buck. He says, yep, I'm gone. That is Connor McDavid at his best right there. Tatum now is going to take it right to who's ever there. Are you kidding me? And Bucker brings the ball. We are witnessing greatness here. On a potential Brady Patriots reunion, he wrote the following. Hold on to your phone with two hands for this one. Don't ever write off the Patriots as a landing spot for Tom Brady. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Uh, we're going to talk some Canada soccer. Jim Brennan, Craig Forrest, they'll drop by. Kenny the Jet Smith has been lost, at least for the day. We can't get him on the show. But Jesse, uh, some other news kind of creeping onto the scale that we can fill this time with? I mean, this is an unbelievable story that broke a couple hours ago. So Ontario has banned UFC wagering at the province's legal sports books, Crazy. which I know I care about because I bet on UFC all the time. The Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario saying in a release that the move has been made to provide safeguards against odds manipulation, match fixing, and other integrity issues. That's so what great. exactly, Timmy, are they hinting at here? Here's an interesting little tidbit. A UFC fight on November the 5th attracted suspicious betting patterns in a fight between Derek Minner and Shailen Nerdenbecka. Now lots of interest on Nerdenbecka winning in the first round, and it shifted the odds dramatically. Nerdenbecka, indeed, won by TKO in the first round of this fight. Now, making the story even crazier is that Minner's coach, James Krause, appeared on the MMA Hour with our friend of the show, Ariel Hawani, in August. Now, this is before the aforementioned mm -hmm. fight. Have a listen, though, to this exchange between a coach of many fighters in the UFC and Ariel Hawani. The betting side of things, like how often do you partake yeah. in this? Oh, I bet every single card, just about every fight. Really? Yeah, absolutely. We have a, I have a Discord, like 2,000 members in it. We crushed it. Last week, we destroyed it. Uh, like, I'm, I take over people's accounts and play for them. Like, I, I post the losses, you know, myself on some accounts. Like, I don't, I, I do pretty well. I make more money gambling on MMA than I do anything else. Come on. More than even coaching? Oh, God. That'll make shit on coaching. Really? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely not. And just curious, like the Moreno fight, like fights that you're involved in, will you bet on those two? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so this controversy comes on the heels of the UFC announcing last month that right. fighters and their teams can no longer wager on bouts. Right. So I ask you, how exactly do we unpack this? Because there's a lot going on here. Well, these are at the highest level accusations of we can't do business with this company coming from Ontario's lottery commission. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to me, 
and this is just to me, separating from the legalities of all this, one of the things that I have always mentioned is you don't realize how little bottom of the card fighters get in the UFC. And Krauss in that interview with Ariel Hawani mm -hmm. started talking about, well, if you break it down, I get 10% of what my fighter does and they make 12K, 14K, 14K. And it got me thinking about this. And, and I brought this up to Dana White himself about like at some point, do those guys have to step up? And mm -hmm. it's always been about bonuses and top-end guys will make this and whether or not there'll be a union in the U.S. All, all of these things. Just let me ask you this. Like, as, as a human being separated from all of these accusations that we just had, mm -hmm. if you made $12,000 for going in a cage and fighting and you're not sure that you have another fight in that organization... What would stop you from saying, well, this guy's offering me 100K. I could bet on this and get 100K out of it because that's how much betting goes into it. Like, we know that Calvin Ridley was suspended for a year for betting $1,500 on different... Parlays. Yeah, yeah. parlays that included his team mm -hmm. winning. Like, mm -hmm. not, nothing, like, no fixing, no... We know that this NFL looked at it and said, he's out for a year. Yeah. And the UFC just banned, and I know that there's all these cute stories about Mayweather betting on himself in fights, and that's kind of how it grew up in the fight game. Mm -hmm. But when you're out of Vegas a lot, and you're doing this kind of thing, it brings a lot of eyes. And man, this story just kind of rolled. And when you showed me some of this stuff earlier today, it's crazy. I, I mean, I, when I look at this and I think like they were able to bet on fights, you you just open it, a can of worms where, just like you said, if you're not making a lot of money otherwise, why wouldn't you do this? Right. Maybe it's not the most moral thing in the world, but morality hasn't stopped a lot of people to do a lot of things in this world before. When it comes to money? When it comes to money. Come on. Right. So <laughs> so you, you had to make it illegal, and I guess good for the UFC that they made it illegal, but this fight that is in question, it doesn't look like it stopped anybody because that fight appears to have been thrown. And so I understand where the gaming commission is coming or, from. Or just there was inside information that people around the world didn't have. Like, like an injury. Right. Which, like a which significant injury, yeah. Yeah. which is why the NFL mandates having all of their injuries listed. All right, we're going to take the break. But yeah. when, we, when we come back, a tasty Thursday nighter in the aforementioned NFL. Bills and Foxborough to take on the Patriots, the first of two meetings that will go a long way to shaping the tight AFC East. We'll talk all things NFL with Brandon Stokely coming up. And that UFC story is not going away, so we'll continue to try and figure out what the hell happened there. Breaking uh, breakdown coming up. But uh, let's talk about American football instead of the other football. We got a pretty good Thursday nighter. Bills and Patriots will go toe to toe, blow for blow in Foxborough. Let's check out the odds powered by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Bills, three and a half point favorites with the over under set at 43 and a half. And if you watched last year in the playoffs, that's an interesting 
over under. Let's dive right in with our Bet Rivers ambassador, former Colt, Raven, Bronco, Giant, Seahawk, and legendary Raging Cajun, Brandon Stokely. What's going on, Brandon? Hey, Tim, how you doing, buddy? I am doing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, help me out here. Looking at the last four or so weeks for the Buffalo Bills, is it just a stumble or might they be coming back down to earth here? Yeah, you know, it's uh, those last couple weeks have been some close games. We saw the Thursday night Thanksgiving game or the Thursday, you know, opener there, uh, Thanksgiving game. Uh, tough one against the Lions. Their schedule's been so screwed up after, you know, the 50 feet of snow that they got and had to go <laughs> yeah. to things, had to go to Detroit, then go back home and go back to Detroit. Um, so we'll see now. Now they got some time here. They're playing on uh, a Thursday night football against the Patriots. Huge game, huge game for this division and for Buffalo moving forward. They got to keep pace with the Miami Dolphins, who have a half game lead on them because they they beat them early in the season. Mm -hmm. So, uh, big game right now uh, for the for the Buffalo Bills. Last year, the wild card, as I mentioned, was forty seven seventeen Buffalo. Is New England better equipped to deal with this this year? I, I wouldn't go there. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, you know, you saw them a couple weeks uh, ago uh, struggle to score Thanksgiving. They got off, and they, they were able to put up a lot of points against Minnesota. Couldn't hold on for that win. Um, Buffalo's tough offensively, defensively. If they don't turn the football over, that's been the Achilles heel this year. Josh Allen, red zone turnovers, just don't turn the football over. They're a tough team to beat. I don't care where it is. Do you think Bill Belichick believes in his quarterbacks? No. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. I think he's trying to manage the situation uh, as best he can. And – you know, that's what you have to do when you have a young quarterback, an inexperienced quarterback, a guy that's missed some time this year. It was a debacle there for a little bit when Mac Jones came back, Bailey Zappi or whatever. He's playing pretty well. Uh, what do we do here? Uh, they're back with Mac Jones. But we'll see how it plays out. But I don't think he really believes in either one of those guys. Hey, listen, all four teams above 500 in the AFC East. Are you good with a lot of talk about playoff format? Are you still good with the divisional format in the NFL? Man, you know, I go back and forth on this. Uh, I was part of a team, the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. I think we were the first team to win that division as an un as a uh, with a losing record, and so um, uh, and won a playoff I game. No, you, you, what's the, and hosted a playoff game? Yes. Yeah. So I, I kind of go back and forth on. It. I think you, you you deserve something for winning your division, but you you look across, you look at a team like Tampa Bay this year, who might win that division with a losing record. Right. Uh, so it's like, should they host a playoff game? Uh, over a team that has a better record than them. Um, so I go back and forth on that. Yeah, I'm good with that. If we, if we did it that way where you're not guaranteed the home date, like if a team has a much better record than you'd, I think the divisional rivalries mean something. And, and playing a team twice a year in your division is something the NFL can't get rid of. But I'm good with that. If, if you have the worst record, you can't host a game. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that. That that's, you know, you can make the playoffs, you win your division because there's something to be said. You might be in a tough division, um, and you win it, you should make the playoffs. But uh, you don't get to host a playoff game. You know, <laughs> you're going to see the Bucks with a worse record probably hosting a, a better team that had a better record during the regular season. Is that right? Uh, probably not. All right. So before I go, I want to talk to you about a couple of your former teams. You mentioned Seattle. You're in Denver right now. How much trouble are the Broncos in? right now as much trouble as you can think of like you, you just it's it's absolutely a disaster it's been as bad as it could get 
with expectations as high as they could get before the season started. And, um, you know, you, you poured a lot of money into Russell Wilson. He's been awful. You're probably going to be firing your head coach after the first year and looking to get a new coach. And so that always takes time, new offense, all these different things. And so, um, you know, you, you look around this roster and it's not um, a ton of talent and offensively, especially. And you say, well, how are they going to take that next step? And Russell Wilson was supposed to be the stir, the, the, the straw that stirs the drink. Right. Yeah. And now you're looking around saying, well, we need the rest of this roster to kind of help him out. So it's not good at all. And there's no way to get out from under. Like, you have to blame the head coach because you can't get out from under the contract that you gave Russell Wilson. That's right. You know, you're, you're stuck pretty much for three years. I think at the bare minimum, uh, that's what you're looking at here. And you just got to kind of pray that Russell can start playing better because if not, it's going to be, um, you know, some dark years ahead. I mean, we saw the video of <laughs> him being yelled at on the sidelines. Like, you've been in locker rooms before. Could, could that get worse as this season Absolutely. goes along? Yeah. Absolutely. Defense is playing well. Yeah. Uh, and when the offense is struggling, you're losing football games, and you look over at your quarterback who's making, you know, a ton of money and he's not performing, there's a frustration level there, especially from those guys on the defensive side of the football. Um, so – uh, you saw a little bit of that yeah. uh, last week uh, in, against Carolina, and certainly it could get worse. All right, before I let you go, the Colts, another one of your former teams, uh, some juice here, like reports of Andrew Luck and Jim Harbaugh going to a meeting with Jim Ursay this week in Indianapolis. Um, <laughs> that, that to me is real juicy, especially with an undefeated team in Ann Arbor. Like, what do you make of just hearing this story, whether it's true or not? I just smile. I just <laughs> smile. I know Jim Ursay, and look, Jim Ursay just isn't sitting on his hands doing nothing. He wants to win, and so he's going to leave no stone unturned. Uh, whether it be Jim Harbaugh, you know, getting him from Michigan, trying to do a package deal. I mean, is that what we're doing here? We're trying to get a package deal. Is Andrew Luck going to come back and play quarterback for him? I mean, I'm here for this. I love it. I mean, this is exciting. Let's see what happens here. But, yes, this is Jim Irsay. This is what he does. This is what he loves to do. He wants to win. They haven't been to the playoffs um, in, in a couple years. And so, uh, you know, trying to find a quarterback, trying to find a head coach, you know. And so, um, we'll see what happens. But, man, it just puts a smile on my face and makes me laugh because, um, you know, Jim Irsay, look, he, he wants to win. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and I'll remember when – Andrew Luck was coming out of Stanford. Some folks thought that that was a package deal with Jim Harbaugh. He's going to the NFL. He's going with Andrew Luck. Imagine this was the – I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm, in, I'm here for it too. Thanks for doing this, Brandon. Always great talking football with you. Thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate it, buddy. Anytime. Uh, there's our friend, Bet Rivers ambassador, Brandon Stokely. Coming up, Canada's World Cup squad will dissipate. That's right, kids. The run has come to an end. We'll reflect on what we saw and what's next? Former Canadian internationals, Craig Forth, Jim Brennan, dropping by the studio. We will talk footy next right here on Timber Friends. Time for Real Sports Talk with Jim McAuliffe and 
friends of the show. Muchas gracias, Sheepdogs. Back your final half hour on Tim and Friends ahead of Hockey Central, 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Jim Brennan, Craig Forrest, between them over 100 caps standing by in studio. We will discuss Canada's World Cup experience. But first, let's get you caught up to date on what's going to happen tonight on the ice. Oilers looking for a four straight win as they play back-to-backs facing the Wild. Tonight in Minnesota, you can see it in Sportsnet 1 and Ontario. 8 Eastern, 6 local in Edmonton. Jack Campbell expecting to get the start in the back-to-backs. He has struggled mightily this season, but did get the win in his last start on Saturday night. Another reunion in Calgary as Sean Monahan returns to the Saddle Dome with the Habs. Monahan said earlier today that he will play after not skating yesterday. He spent his first nine seasons with the Flames. Catch that one originally on Sportsnet West. 7 o'clock Mountain will visit with Ryan Leslie a little later on in the show to get you set. And in Vancouver, the Canucks will honor the recently inducted Hall of Famers, Daniel Henrik Sabine, as well as Roberto Luongo, as the Canucks fittingly play the Panthers. You can catch that one regionally. Sportsnet Pacific will get more from Dan Murphy coming up, so please stick around. As mentioned, Canada's final World Cup game earlier today, knowing they were going home after regardless but still a chance to make some history looking for their first ever win and points at the men's world cup so how did it go not good early and in fact they were down two nil less than 30 minutes into this game but in the 40th minute sam atakube with a nice run down the left side beats his defender his low cross Deflects in, it's ruled an own goal. Canada gets within one, and to be honest, played really well in the second half. Unfortunately, they were down 2-0. This was Atiba Hutchison's chance at ending his perhaps international career with a wonderful story in Canada's first points, but somehow it stays out. The captain can't believe it. I can't believe it. This is how close it was. Canada failed to get a point in the group stage and have now lost all six that they have played in the World Cup. So, as we showed you the highlights earlier today, it was a crazy day. Belgium and Germany both crash out. We have two more round of 16 matchups confirmed. Japan will face Croatia on Monday, while Spain go to the other side of the bracket and they will face Morocco in the round of 16. I think Spain is thanking their draw. I think Argentina is thanking their draw. And I am thanking these two fine young lads for coming in here and talking a little footy with me. Over 100 combined caps to keeper Craig Forrest down the left side, Jimmy Brown. We got a crowd here. Yes, we always have a crowd here. (laughs) One, maybe two, depending on if Sebastian (laughs) has his hands on the camera. Come on, Sebby. He was holding the camera here. There you go. (laughs) So earlier today, I said that this was the icing. And I believe that these three games in the World Cup were the icing and that the journey getting there cannot be left out. But that doesn't mean that we can't break it down. So so how will you remember this World Cup for this squad? I'll start with you, Craig. Well, I mean, on the surface, when you look at the table and you look at the past World Cups and, yeah, we've lost six in a row, um, it doesn't look good. But you've you got to be realistic about the situation. I mean, there's only a few years ago that we were ranked outside the top 100. <laughs> You know, we, we couldn't fill, you know, small stadiums. Uh, even two years ago when Canada played against the United States in the Nations League, the BMO field was a third full. Right. Um, and you got top, and Alfonso was there that day. And 
Pulitzer was playing for the Americans, you know. So yeah. we've got a long way to go before we really, you know, get there. Um, and with the lack of, we got three MLS teams. We now just have a new uh, Canadian Premier League that's yep. going to help a lot. But it's a long way down the ladder as far as leagues go. So, and even MLS proved that it's not quite at the standard yet. Um, we always knew there was a defensive uh, frailties with this Canadian team. Didn't surprise me. They, so they, they conceded six uh, or seven. Um, but overall, I think. When you look at what the team's doing and where they're moving forward and the age of some of these players, the old guys will move on. And I think there's some really good ones and even some existing ones that are young, Jimmy, that can actually take this to the next level and maybe make that next level of, uh, of league play as well as international play, which we desperately need. Yeah. I think he answered it all, didn't he? Didn't, he? <laughs> didn't leave me much. Yeah, I knew he was going to do that. That's why you got to go with me first before you go with him. <laughs> and finish with Greg. I'm still a rookie in this game. No, I'm, I think it's... Uh, Look, we we can dissect it and, and analyze it as much as we want, but I think overall, I think it was, I think it was good. I think there was a lot of positives um, that came out of this out of this tournament, and this is something that we've got to build on now. And like Craig was saying, these older guys now they're moving aside. The young group is going to be together for the next four years. They'll be right. playing in that next World Cup, and then the, the young crop that's coming through the system as well. It gives them a good few years as well to to really settle into this team. And I think, I think we're in a good position. We're in a very good position with this national team as well. So are either of you disappointed with what you saw over three games? Well, I am disappointed because they, you know, when you go through the Belgium game, they, they, everybody could admit that they play better than Belgium. They scored the penalty sh uh, shot at Alfonso. That could have been different. They could have picked up three points. Yeah. Um, for the first 25 minutes, they played well against Croatia. Then they were schooled. But that was really the only period of the World Cup where they played poorly, really poorly, where they got really beat up. And in tournament football, there's a very fine line. Look yeah. at Belgium's out, Germany's out, yeah. Mexico's out. You know, they, these guys, these all have brilliant leagues, and they can't even get out of the knockout stage. Right. How do we compete? It's really, really difficult. So we have to know the world we're in, and the whole world plays this game. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think, in a way, a lot of us are a little bit disappointed because we went through qualifying, and we absolutely dominated it. Yeah. Then we get to the World Cup, and everybody was skeptical, thinking, okay, how are we going to play against Belgium? I mean, we're talking you know, one of the top teams in the world here. And our performance was spectacular. And all of a sudden, now the chests are out, and we're going, hey, we can compete here. Peacock in here. Right? A yeah. little bit. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, you're, you're disappointed with the 4-1 loss against Croatia, and then, obviously, against Morocco as well. But that, the start didn't help as one bit, and all of a sudden, you got a mountain to climb with a, no. with a silly goal conceded. So. And it sort of shows, you know, what really on the table there, with the United States, only a team going through out of CONCACAF, which... You know, CONCACAF is, is not the strongest region. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I've always said to make the World Cup, you don't need to be the top 32 in the world. You just need to be in the, the top three and a half in CONCACAF, right? right? right. To, get, get, to get to the show. So, you know, overall, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a terrific performance overall. And I think they learned a lot off the field, uh, John Herman included. Yep. You know, you got to presume you have a mic on all the time. Um, everything's going to be blown way out of proportion. Alfonso Davies, uh, okay, if you don't want to face international media, that's his right, and he's been brilliant for Canada. But the articles are going to be written about that. Right. So you got to just right. know how to manage those situations, and I think they could have managed them a little bit better um, and take some, taken off some, you know, really some heat that they... They didn't yeah. uh, actually tap. All right, take. Jimmy, let's let's hammer home on John Herdman because there were some questions about the tactics today from Herdman, not the first time in, in this tournament. H how would you rate his performance in this tournament? Look, I thought against Belgium, I thought he I thought he got it right. 
Um, and then, yeah, sure, we, we can we can talk about the other other games and say, you know, should have Atiba played as much as he did, maybe come on at halftime. But then Estacchio gets injured. Yeah. Estacchio gets injured, and, and that changes his whole his whole plan as well because he's probably had to keep on a central midfielder. But I think as a manager, you can never you can never be afraid of change. And in the last couple of games as well, you saw the formation changing from a 4-4-2. Then they went with a back five, and uh, they, they interchanged players. They had Davies on the right. and So he was he was trying things to, to get an edge. Right. Um, and you know, Jimmy, how hard it is if you're, the difficult. keeper spotted them two goals. Like, yeah. it's hard enough one. Like, and you're chasing all the time. And I thought the response was brilliant under those circumstances because you can never count for that. Yeah. You know, and, and it yeah. can happen to any team yeah. at any moment. So Well, that's it, man, because you've got a game plan. And you don't plan on going down right. after four minutes in right. a match. And that changes everything. That changes the dynamic of the game. Them. Yeah. Li- right? Almost literally handed yeah. to them. So, so, Craig, let me ask you this. Did we ever see the best from Alfonso Davies in this tournament? Uh, no, I don't think we did. Yeah. Uh, I think he looks as though he was carrying maybe that injury. He just wasn't quite as sharp. It does see him open up quite as much. Is uh, he could have taken yeah, on players. Yeah, and I thought he played in the middle of the park a lot. Yeah, like, he drifted around because I mean he's our most important player offensively and defensively, and he yeah. made some really good clearances defensively yeah. as well. Yeah, so, there's some great tracking yeah. today. But, but part of the reason as well, and, and maybe this is back to the tactics where it, maybe we didn't get it right, where you've got Davies who was playing wide right, and then mm-hmm. he plays wide left as well. But what they look to do is they look to have inverted wingers, which means our wide players come inside to mm-hmm. allow the fullbacks to go forward. Right. Now you've got Buchanan, you've got David. They want to get forward. They want to take players down the line. Right. Right. So maybe it's not the best option for, for those type of players to, to be coming inside and playing in these little pockets. Right. So I think that was one, one issue that we had with it. With, our, with the games. Was, also, we, I don't think we use the guys in the right spot at times. Who's going to score the goal? We, we, you know, That's where Alfonso is not a natural goal scorer. No, He's, no. He can finish and he will score you a few. Laren has done very well for Canada, but that's mostly against St. Kitts and Nevis than it is top quality. So right. it was shown that, you know, breaking down those defenses, like even Belgium uh, and Croatia blocking shots and everything else, it's tough at that level. And, and Jonathan David wasn't as good and productive as we thought he would be either. Yeah, and I know that strikers need service. Did, yes. did, did he lack service? Did he disappear? Like, what did you see out there that it's made a, you It's a like, service as well. Yeah. You need that quality in the final third. Yeah. Um, and all good strikers need half a chance. But you've got to give them the opportunity to get that half a chance. And I think a lot of times when we got into those areas, and especially down to the byline, the final ball let us down a little bit. Going into today's game, we had, I think, 10 opportunities on net more than anybody else in the group, but less on target than anybody else in the group. So, mm. you know, the chances were there, um, but we, didn't, we weren't clinical enough in the final third either. Before we get to Atiba, uh, I know that Jesse Rubinoff has some feedback uh, mm-hmm. on this conversation as we speak. I do. Well, we asked, um, we went through a couple earlier in the in the show, how are you feeling about the state of Canadian men's soccer? And uh, let's get to a couple responses here. And Michael says, slight sense of disappointment as things didn't go our way at times, but overall immensely proud of this group. Gave us a journey we will never forget. We will be back stronger in 2026. And stop me if you want to have a comment at any point here. Uh, Crates that was of a good says, that actually, yeah. That's bang on there. Michael, yeah. he's bang on. He's yeah. right. I, 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 will yeah. say, I will say that this is, and I told Timmy this uh, in the first block, this is the prevailing sentiment among yeah. the majority of people yeah. Yeah. Who, who have Just a slight disappointment, absolutely, yeah. and we're still proud of them as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this one, proud as ever, will be back stronger. As Stefan says, we have one all-world player, a handful of players getting their feet wet in Europe, and a bunch of MLS players. 
The next two, three years are crucial for the development of our men's program. Thanks for the mem great memories and the wild ride to Qatar. Bang Let, as well. Let's talk about that development for the men's program. What does that look like heading into a World Cup that you're hosting and that will expand a field where you're only guaranteed two group games? Amazing, isn't it? Like yeah. it's. Uh, I, I don't really know what the plan is. Are we trying to get into tournaments? So apply Copa America. Copa nice. America. Wouldn't that be good. Right. Okay, let's let's just let's just solve this for Concacaf and beyond. It's called Copa America. Make it all. Make it the North American, South American Euros. Have the top teams in Concacaf play against the best teams from South America. Combine it together, it's Copa America. What do you think? They won't do it. Why not? <laughs> because you have to have. No. They, they want their own, the confederations to have their own champions. Cor you don't want to mix. Correct, then but then next. you have another tournament. Oh, when are you going to fit this in? They're already playing like seven. You didn't think about that every two years. You didn't think about that one. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, shut the leagues down again. I, I mean, they, so I'm listen, but, uh, the next World Cup, CONCACAF, are, like, are we going to have a qualifying tournament? Yes. For who? Yes, for, for everybody who? outside of Mexico, U.S., and Canada. Although we're not <laughs> for everybody outside Mexico, <laughs> U.S., and Canada. Oh, we're all going to get automatic first. Right. It's not guaranteed. So that's yet, not a real happen. tournament. But then hopefully we go down to Copa America. Right. But then after that we're yeah. screwed. It's a real tournament for the rest of them because teams like Guatemala, no, I you know, under, Grenada, I Barbados, they all yeah, think right. they've got a Costa shot. Rica is going to walk through that tournament. Sorry, El oh, Salvador. Well, I mean, from now on, <laughs> yes. come yeah. 2030. Right. Uh, when we have to qualify again, there's going to be enough spots. We're, we're always going to be at the World Cup. We're right, never going to miss another team, World Cup. Yeah. World if, we, if they're not in the top forward, eight of yeah. CONCACAF, you really don't belong there. So. Okay, let, let's finish with Atiba because for years I've said that this is Canada's most underrated athlete. And I firmly believe that. And there was that moment where I thought, I mean, I jumped out of the chair. I thought maybe he had given himself kind of the right send-off yeah. here with that header. Can, can you guys just speak to a guy who's been around the pro? He's 39 years old for the uninitiated. He's the second oldest non-keeper to ever play yeah. in a World Cup, and he has showed up time and time again for country. I actually thought, you know, this, the footballing gods were going to give him that because yeah. he has worked so hard. And when you usually we say that in the dressing room, the footballing gods, if you work really, really hard, you will finally get something rewarded to you. And you just think, well, okay, maybe it was he made the World Cup, which is absolutely spectacular because his best years are behind him. And for him to actually even make that team and get in there and come that close to scoring a goal is, is just absolutely brilliant, yeah. you know. No, I was, I was happy for him. Um, I was fortunate enough to play with him as well and be in the dressing room with Atiba. Um, he really is a, a true professional, loves the game, loves playing for this country. Um, he's an absolute leader and, uh, you know, he, uh, and he would hopefully helped. he'll get another few more games with the national team, but you never know. But uh, he, he genuinely is a great guy and, and off the pitch, what a gentleman. Oh. If he was a bigger name, he would be in MLS as a designated player years ago, but he yeah. wasn't enough. Right. He needed to sell jerseys, he needed to sell shirts, yeah. and even in Canada. Don't he's, worry, he's, right. selling, he's selling jerseys in Turkey. Oh, <laughs> right? like He's an absolute fun. legend oh. in Turkey, and you guys are absolute legends for coming in each and every time Canada played. Appreciate you both. Thank you. Thanks. Jimmy Thanks. Brennan, Craig Thanks. Forrest, a little footy talk. We'll finish with game time next right here on Tim and Friends. Thank you, boys. Always appreciate it. Thanks, man. Welcome back, friends. Bauer Hockey continues its pursuit to grow the game of hockey by breaking down barriers and making the sport more diverse and inclusive for all. 
Early in November, Bauer Hockey, with the help of Sport Rousseau in Laval, invited girls from the Hockey for Youth program to be fitted head-to-toe in hockey gear, which is awesome. What the girls didn't know is that the crew fitting them included a couple of special guests, which included an NHLer and a couple of gold medalists. They're on hand to help them fit and test the gear. I'm uh, Nick Suzuki, I play for the Montreal Canadiens. I haven't been to any Olympics like these two, but uh, our friends at Bauer told us that you guys are just getting into hockey and uh, we wanted to set you up with uh, brand new gear, so we'll head inside and uh, get you all set up. I walk into the store today, to be honest, reminded me of when I was a kid and you have that chance to have that new glove, new stick or something that it's hard to put towards, but when you get on the ice, that smile is even bigger than ever. Hockey for Youth Foundation is a charitable organization that provides newcomer girls and boys and those who face barriers to playing hockey with a chance to play the game. All of us love the sport of hockey, but we also love what it brings, the people, the values, the uh, life lessons it teaches you, the ups and downs along the way. They're a little nervous to hop in and shoot pucks, but uh, once they're in there, they're shooting as many pucks as they can and uh, doing really well. It's such an amazing feeling. It was like, wow, like this is all mine. The idea here is to get these girls and boys out onto the ice free of charge, but to let them experience what we love about the game of hockey. This is crazy. I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I'm really happy I met some of the celebrity hockey players, and I'm really grateful. Looks good. Thank you. That'd be nice to show up to. Mm -hmm. the <laughs> Very well done again. Buy some gear, and all of a sudden there's uh, Mary Philippe Poulain and Nick Suzuki. It's, it's yeah. awesome. All right, every game day starts right here at Tim and Friends. Here's what's coming up on Sportsnet tonight. Avs and Sabres, East and Pacific. Mavs and Pistons, only game in the NBA tonight. You can see that on Sportsnet 360. The Oilers are in Minnesota. You can see it across the country. Sportsnet 1, Ontario. That's at 8 Eastern, 6, excuse me, 6 in Edmonton. Well, those in the Calgary region can see the Habs and Flames in Sportsnet West. Panthers, Canucks, also with some special festivities before the game. That one you can see on Sportsnet Pacific. Meantime, game time. It is game time. Let's dig in on the games you'll be watching tonight. It's, uh, as you saw, an all-Canadian matchup at the Saddle Dome as the Habs visit the Calgary Flames. And after facing Matthew Kachuk on Tuesday, Calgary perhaps going up against another former Flame tonight. With more on that, here's Ryan Leslie. Sean Monaghan makes his return to Calgary for the very first time now with the Montreal Canadiens. But after nine seasons with the Flames, a lot of reflection about a time that featured all kinds of goals, all kinds of memories, and some notable injuries, including double hip surgery, but all kinds of praise from his old team, including his old coach, where he said, listen, Sean Monaghan gives you everything he's got. High praise indeed. And he also said if he were here long term, he would be a captain of this team. And it was something that caught the attention of Monaghan. It's nice to hear, I mean, there's a lot of guys in that in that room over there too that are great leaders, been there for a long time and yeah, I mean they're they'll be my friends for the rest of my life. So I mean to, to hear that that's uh, that's pretty cool. Sean, any message for Flames fans who cheered you on for nine years and I'm sure we'll give you a 
standing ovation you deserve tonight. Yeah, no, just thank you. I mean, supported me from day one. Came in 18 years old, and yeah, it's a, it's a special place, and really enjoyed my time here. Some rare emotional moments from Sean Monahan, who's going to skate on a line tonight with Yuri Slavkovsky and Josh Anderson. The goaltending matchup tonight will be Jacob Markstrom against Jake Allen. Ryan Leslie, Sportsnet, Calgary. Thank you, Ryan. And some timeline here on Monahan. Now, yesterday he didn't practice. The Habs called it a maintenance day. Earlier today, Monahan said he was playing, and that's why you get the report from Ryan Leslie as you did. Now, moments ago. We had a video of Monahan walking into the Saddle Dome. It looks like a normal saunter in, right, Jesse? Yeah. Two coffee in hand. But as we zoom out a little bit, you can see he's got a walking boot. It doesn't look like somebody that's playing. On that right foot, which would suggest to you that he's not playing in this game, but you know damn well from that emotion that he wants to play in this game. <laughs> that would be very impressive. I mean, I'm sure he's not thrilled that the cameras picked him up in a walking boot, yeah. but we'll see if he plays because that's an interesting little story there. Without a doubt, Monaghan returning to Calgary. There'll be some familiar faces in the building at Rogers Arena in Vancouver as well. Canucks will honor some of the greatest players in franchise history as they take on the Panthers. Dan Murphy standing by with more. Murph? Tim, earlier this season, the Canucks brought Kevin Bieksa to town, signed him to a one-day contract so he could retire as a member of the organization. It gave Bieksa a chance for some closure on his career, and it gave the fans in this market a chance to cheer on one of their all-time favorites. Well, tonight, it's happening again. Daniel Sedin, Henrik Sedin, and Roberto Luongo. All three were just recently inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and tonight will be honored prior to puck drop between the Canucks and the Panthers. The best moments of my career was when I was here. Obviously, you know, when I played for Team Canada, I was with the Canucks, but, you know, it was also in Vancouver. So um, those playoff runs, I mean, those were the best uh, moments of my career. So to be able to uh, kind of relive them a little bit here uh, in the next uh, little while and um, take it in and thank the fans for everything, I think uh, it's a nice way to, uh, you know, to cap it all off. This is the team's legacy, and uh, uh, when when players have had fa fabulous um, careers with that organization, I'm all for, and really, uh, uh, really would love to see more teams do it more often to more players. Now, as for the game itself, both these teams probably coming into this one a little bit angry. The Panthers just went 0-1-1 in Alberta, don't want to leave Western Canada without a victory. As for the Canucks, they're coming off a very disappointing performance against the Capitals on Tuesday, and there will be changes. Burroughs is out for Stillman, Connor Garland is a healthy scratch, and Thatcher Demko will get the start in net. Tim? Thank you, Dan. A little story time here before we get going. Mm. Uh, a couple days, well, I guess we're about a month now. You asked me if the Leafs November last year would weigh into the idea that they might have a good November this year. I chuckled. You were right. Do we think the same thing of the Vancouver Canucks? Well, I think their struggles have been a little bit more pronounced than the Maple Leafs have. And I think, I mean, it's possible, but I think what's really interesting about the Canucks is we've talked about, you know, are they good? Do they know what they actually have? And my fear for the Canucks is that they're going to go on a little bit of a run here and perhaps they're not as good as that would appear. Mm -hmm. And that would be concerning for me long term. But maybe they are. It's just they got to figure it out. 
8-1-1 one one in the month of December yeah. last year. We'll see if they do go on another run starting tonight on Sportsnet Pacific. That does it for us. Hockey Central, Carolyn Cameron, Sarah Nurse, Justin Bourne is up next. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.